Well, again, welcome. My name is Floyd, and um, those of you joining us online, thank you for joining us. And we are currently um, in the early stages of of a study in 1 Samuel chapter, we're in chapter 3 this morning, we're going to work our way through the whole book of 1 Samuel. Chapter 3, if you're familiar with it, is a story of God calling the boy Samuel. And it's, a, it's an interesting story. It brings up a number of um, questions about the relevance of it today. Like, is this just a story about the prophet Samuel and how God called Samuel back then? And we read it, and then we just say, well, that was an interesting story, and we move on with life? Um, or is there a relevance and a message for us today? If I didn't conclude, and if I didn't believe that there was a relevance in this story for us, and that it ultimately would point us to Jesus, I would probably say you're all dismissed and you can go eat lunch now or I'd find somewhere else to teach out of. But I think in the story of the call of, the, of Samuel to the role of prophet and priest that we find some helpful information for you and I today as we walk with God and as we hear God. I titled this morning's message, The Lord Calls. And as I was kind of preparing, I realize that in our culture, we tend to um, assign that term to a very small group of people, like people who find themselves in vocational ministry or preaching, teaching, or in some particular specific work, we say, well, God called them. And that's not inaccurate. There's some accuracy to that. There are specific assignments that God does call us to. I would contend that if you were a follower of Jesus, that there was a moment where you were called to know him, but that you were also called to represent him. And that that call to represent him is played out in very different ways in every person's life. In fact, I don't think there are two people who share the exact same assignment. I remember a number of years ago, when I was first ordained, there was an older retired pastor in our church, and he pulled me aside and he said, in your preaching, in your teaching, in your ministry, and in everything you do, he said, don't ever try to copy anybody. He said, in fact, if you get them copied perfectly, God doesn't need one of you. And uh, and I've never forgotten that. He said, God placed you where he placed you sovereignly in this particular moment in time with the circle of people around you that he placed around you for a very specific purpose. And it's your responsibility to say yes and to be obedient to the assignment and the calling that he places on your life. That's true for us as believers in Jesus Christ, all of us without exception. That all of us, we're not only called to know him, but that we are called to represent him to the people around us. That's the story of Samuel, and there's some principles that are underlined in this story. What I'd like to do this morning, and, and as we work our way through a narrative book like Samuel, we're not reading 100% of the verses simply for the sake of time, and the fact that the 
uncomfortable fact that when you read long passages of Scripture, it's easy for people's minds to wander. And, um, and I've just noticed that. I'm going to make an exception for that because Samuel chapter 3 is a short passage and it's a story that I think is worth reading the entire story. So I'm going to make an exception for that, but I need you to stay with me. Now they say that when you read a story, the people who get the most out of it are the ones who can kind of run a movie reel in their head, like the ones who can kind of visualize what's going on. And I think that's true. The, the, the key to enjoying a good book is to be able to imagine what's happening and to play the scenes in your head. You know, when they talk about the old white farmhouse, you need to be able to picture an old white farmhouse with the porch. And when they talk about, you know, this character and, and his personality, you need to be able to picture him. So I need you in the moment right now to picture Samuel in your head. He's a boy. What's he wearing? Well, if you were in the previous passage, you would see that his mother would bring him a new little ephod every year because he was growing. So he's probably wearing like a, he's like, looks like a little miniature priest. Um, that's what he looks like. And so picture that in your mind. Um, that's the picture. Now, we need you to picture the temple. Where is Samuel? He's laying beside the flame. This was a flame that burned through the night where the presence of God was. And they, would, and they would, I don't know if I'd say guard the flame, but they were just there. And so we, we enter the story with, it says the boy Samuel's ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and then it goes on and it describes him as being there, and he, it was during the night. So it's dark outside, but there's a light in the room. So picture that. And then we're going to read the story. Hopefully you've got that picture now, okay? All right. You're welcome to follow along on the screen. If you have your Bibles with you, follow along your Bibles. Verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place, the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel and said, uh, Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go. Lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I will declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew 
because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Hopefully you're still with me. It's a fascinating story, isn't it? There's the boy Samuel, and he's laying there at night, and then he hears his name, Samuel. And he assumes that it must be Eli. Now, I kind of have questions. You know, did God's voice sound like Eli's voice? It doesn't say, so we don't know. But he made the assumption that if somebody was saying his name, it must be Eli because that was the only other person that was within earshot that he was aware of. Because at one point it says that, it was in verse 7, it says, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So it's drawing a, a clear line of distinction between Samuel before this and Samuel after this. The Samuel who didn't know God and didn't know his word, and the Samuel who does learn to know God and to hear his voice. And there's this distinction there. So before that, Samuel is not even entertaining the idea that it could be God. Because he hadn't actually ever heard God, and he hadn't talked to anybody who had really heard God. Because it talks about how the word of the Lord was rare in those days. It was extremely unusual that anybody would hear from God. And we talked about it over the last couple of weeks, how the story of, or the book of Judges sort of ends with that dark picture. Going into Samuel, you see that, that description of Israel in the book of Judges as, as every man was just doing what was right in his own eyes. Because there, because there was just no word from God leading the people. God was not speaking to his people. It's a difficult, dark time. And, and then that's the preface to this story of God beginning to speak to the boy Samuel. And there's some principles that I want to quickly touch on in this story. Principle number one, the word of God brings understanding. In verse one, it says that the word of the Lord was rare, and it says, and there was no frequent vision. And if you kind of unpack what it's really saying, there really was no understanding. With that lack of vision came a lack of understanding about God. And not just about God, but about life in general. And as God is not speaking to His people, people are not equipped to live out their lives with wisdom. And the Word of God, when He begins to speak, it brings a sense of understanding and understanding what's going on around us. A couple years ago, I, 
I was listening to a sermon by uh, Dr. Erwin Lutzer from Moody Bible Church, who's retired now, but he, he said people ask him sometimes, do you think that we're going to see a shortage of food in the near future? You think we'll see a famine? And, and I loved Lutzer's response. He said, he said, on a personal level, he said, I you know, live in the Midwest, he's from Chicago, and he said, I see fields full of food. So I'm not expecting a shortage of food. Now, you may disagree with him. It's not really the point. Um, he said, I'm not actually as worried about a famine of food as I am a famine of God's word. And he said, I think we're currently living in one of those. And, and that really, you know, it's, it was memorable. Like, yeah, not as concerned about a famine of food as I am a famine of God's word. Because where there's a famine of God's word, there's also a, a shortage of understanding, of the ability to even navigate through the most simple, basic principles of life. And we look at around us, you don't have to look very far, see people who are incredibly confused about some of the most basic things, even things like math. And the level of foolishness seems to be in heavy supply, and the level of wisdom seems to be in short supply. And there's times you kind of look around, you shake your head and think, what in the world is going on? What are people thinking? And it's possible that we would be living in a time similar to what is described there in verse 1 of chapter 3 of 1 Samuel, where it says the word of the Lord is rare. That there'd be a famine of God's word, because where there is a famine of God's word, there is a famine, there is a shortage of vision and understanding and wisdom. If God's word is in short supply, wisdom is in short supply. If God's word is in short supply, holiness is in short supply. You say, what are we supposed to do about that? Well, let's keep going. Second point, God's word comes to open hearts. There's something very um, unique about Samuel's posture when God speaks. If you were here last week, and we talked about um, Eli and his sons in chapter 2, when God spoke to Eli and his sons, what was their response? Stubborn resistance. Like, especially with the two sons. Like, they were, not, we're not changing anything. Even though God had come to them and said, I am displeased with what's going on right now in your lives, and, and I'm... I'm pronouncing a death sentence on you, they were stubborn in their refusal to change. There's no openness to God's word. Why would God speak to somebody like that who didn't even want to hear from God? But then in contrast, there's Samuel, and even when he doesn't know it's God, you see his heart. He says, here I am. As soon as he hears his name, he's like, here I am. I'm here. Go ahead. Say what you want to say. When he thought it was Eli, he's like, he's like, I'm open. I'm here. I'm ready to listen. And then when Eli says, no, Samuel, actually God is speaking to you. Samuel's heart is open and ready, and he's 
honest, and he just says, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And there's a sense of reverence. There's a sense of, I acknowledge the fact that God is greater than I am. He's not here to serve me. I'm here to serve him. And so Samuel's response is this openness and this honesty and saying, Lord, speak. I just want to hear what you have to say. And is it possible that God's word was rare because people wanted it to be rare? Because nobody likes to be confronted with their own need, their own inadequacy. How many of you know that when God speaks, there's almost always a sense of confrontation? I'm grateful for that, even the times when it's uncomfortable. When God speaks through his word or however, and we want to talk about that in a moment, it's the different ways that God speaks. But when God speaks, it, it confronts us. But God's word does come to open hearts. He, come, he came to Samuel because Samuel was open and ready. He's honest. He's ready to be used. It had been drilled in Samuel from day one. See, he wasn't like other kids. He knew that. He knew that other kids, you know, they were born lived with their moms and dads, played in the streets with other kids, and just did what normal kids do. Samuel knew there was something special about him, and I suspect he couldn't remember when he learned that there was something special about him because it had always been that way. I doubt that Samuel could remember the day when all of a sudden he realized that God had something special for him to do because it had always been that way. He was taken to the temple when he was weaned, and he just stayed there at the temple from the time he was a little boy. But he knew there was something different. He knew that he was different from everybody else. And that God had his hand on his life. And that sense of God's divine hand on his life dramatically affected the way that he responded when God began to speak. And it raises the question, do you know, do you know that God has had his hand on your life? Because he has. Are you aware that God has been working and orchestrating the events of your life for his sovereign purposes? Because he has. Are you conscious of that? And does that affect the way that you view the voice of God and when he speaks? Thirdly, the word of God transforms the listener. We find Samuel in verse 1, and how does he describe him? It says, the boy. By the time we get to verse 20, how does it describe him? Established as a prophet. How did that happen in one chapter? How did that happen in one night? How did he go from being a boy to a prophet in one night? Because it talks about how from that point on he began to grow, and it says the the Lord was with him, and this is kind of an interesting term. It says he let none of his words fall to the ground. In other words, when Samuel spoke, people would hear him, and they'd be like, that's right, that's right, he has authority. And they would listen. Now, statistically, if I talk for about 30 to 40 minutes, most of you are going to get about 5% of that. So, 30 minutes, minute and a half of what I say, you're going to retain. 
real encouraging, by the way. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I always assume that the same minute and a half is not, that, that each of your minute and a half is not the same as a person beside you. You know what I'm saying? So, it's okay. Um, if I do really good, you might remember 10%, which would be about three minutes out of the 30. That's why I try to preach a lot longer, by the way. <laughs> so you get more. Uh, but here's Samuel. And it says that as God, as this, this call of God rested on him, something very unusual happened. God did not let his words fall to the ground. And whatever Samuel would say, it would connect with people. You know, I was listening to a podcast recently, and they were talking about what, what does God do in seasons of revival? I love the history of revival, stories about the first great awakening, the second great awakening, th third great awakening, and so forth, and, and then some of the smaller revivals of different places that have broken out, and times when the Spirit of God is just moving in a mighty way. And by the way, today's Pentecost Sunday. I don't know if you're aware of that. I should just be preaching a sermon on Acts chapter 2 on the coming of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is a day when we stop and remember the day when, when the Spirit of God came in the fulfillment of the prophecy in Joel, in the last days I will pour out my spirit. Acts chapter 2 is where you read the story. And, and so because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, because he lives in us, there is a sense of his direction and his calling and his provision and um, an anointing or empowering to do what he's called us to do. And God, through his spirit, was equipping Samuel to share and to, to share these words. And it says that these words would not fall to the ground. But in these times of great awakening, and I'm refer back to this podcast I was referring to earlier, in these times of great awakening, one of the things that people notice in every one of those revivals is that the same sermon preached by the same guy in the same context instead of touching five people's hearts, will touch a hundred or two hundred in an unusual way. And it's just something God does. I think it's something that Paul is referring to in 1 Thessalonians when he says, pray that the word of God will again speed ahead or run in some translations. He's saying, pray that when God's word is shared, that it takes root in an unusual way that we're not even used to seeing. That's what I pray for, by the way. I pray for another awakening, a revival, where we are not seeing a famine of God's Word, but we're seeing a running of God's Word, where God's Word is moving ahead in power and in authority, and it is touching people's lives in a way that dramatically transforms them, because God's Word always transforms the listener. Where God is speaking, where you hear God in a personal way, where He is speaking to you personally about the issues of your life personally, it changes you from the inside inside out every time. God never deals with us and leaves us the way he found us. As you walk with God and as God speaks to you in a personal way, as you study his word, it will change you. And it can not be done in a way that doesn't change you unless you are doing it in a way that is divorced from a relationship with Jesus. 
If you are studying his word in a way that is divorced from a relationship with Jesus, then nothing changes. But where there's an open heart, hearing the voice of God, hearing him speak to you, it'll change you. Well, how does God speak? Like, I I need you to talk about this preacher. How does God speak? Because you keep talking about God speaking to his people. Jesus said, you know, my sheep know my voice, and a stranger's voice they won't even hear. So there's a familiarity. Samuel didn't know God's voice yet. There was no familiarity at that point, but after that, there was a familiarity with God's voice. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, he says, my sheep will hear my voice, and a stranger's voice they won't hear. But I want to take a look at, for a moment here at how God communicates to us. And we've kind of went back into some old uh, Bible school material and a couple books that I've been reading. And this is sort of the four ways that a lot of theologians agree that God communicates to us. We don't all agree on this, by the way. Um, God does create to us through creation. Romans chapter 1, very clear about that. That God communicates who he is to us through his creation and his created order. Even us as humans created in the image of God that, God that God does communicate to us. We know that God communicates to us through his scripture. Is it possible to read scripture and not understand God? Actually, it is. The Pharisees had gotten good at it. They were really good at it at reading Scripture and not knowing God. And Jesus took them to task for it. So there does need to be a personal sense of understanding or revelation or whatever word you want to use as we open the book, as we read it, in order to hear God communicate and speak to us. But He does speak to us through Scripture. He speaks to us through our experiences many, many times. Things will happen. You'll go through a season of life, and you're like, man, I learned some lessons through that season. I had those experiences. I had a conversation with somebody and I learned something out of that conversation. I think God wanted me to understand. And God does communicate to us through those life experiences. Sometimes it'll be a season of time. Sometimes it's just a a short event or whatever. But we're constantly learning the things that God wants to teach us through the experiences of life. And he deals with some of our own brokenness through that. And then there's there's that inner voice. Now, this is the one that's controversial, by the way. Does God ever speak to us through, through an inner voice? Does he speak to us in sort of a, a voice that is not audible, but that we can hear? Some people say, no, he never does. Other people say, he does all the time, and I hear him constantly. I hear people describe whole conversations with God where they argue with him in an inner voice. I mean, you know, that's the opposite sides of the spectrum. There's this whole, you know, this view that is considered cessationism, which is that God has completely ceased to speak in any way outside of Scripture. And then there's the, you know, continuance where God's continuing to speak in lots of different ways, including um, an inner voice. One of the reasons that it's controversial is that 2,000 years has proven to us that people can get a little weird with that. Whole... Um, false religions have started by people saying, well, I heard from God. I heard God say this, and nobody's supposed to argue with it. Young guys have tried to get girls to date them by saying, well, God told me. (coughs) Girls have tried to get guys to date them by saying, God told me. If you're here, you're single, and you want to date and get married, don't play that card. Even if you're believing that God told you, just keep it to yourself for a while. (laughs) You might be wrong. 
We, we're aware of the fact that it can be abused, aren't we? So can the others. Scripture can be so dramatically mishandled. You know, even the things that God has clearly said can be mishandled in a way that abuses and hurts people. And that's not God speaking. That's us taking what God has done and mishandling it. I'm currently reading a couple different books that have sort of created a more sense of awareness in my own mind of, of just the devastation that can happen when people mishandle God speaking, when people misconstrue uh, what God has said. Oh, God told me to do this. God told me to say this. God, God has uniquely anointed me to tell you this. I hope if you get here some Sunday and you hear me or anybody else get up and say, well, this morning I'm going to talk to you from what God showed me last week and not from his word, that you guys love me enough to pull me off the side and say, you're headed to a dangerous place and taking people to a dangerous place because thousands of people over the last 2,000 years have wound up in some of the most bizarre beliefs and practices led by leaders who made fantastic claims of having unique hearing from God. And it can become very dangerous. That's one of the reasons, by the way, that the reaction to it is just to say, well, it's cleaner if we just say God doesn't talk. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that. Scripture doesn't make that claim. That God doesn't speak to us. In fact, there is a clear sense of a personal God throughout even the New Testament. You know, because there's people who say, well, he did in the Old Testament, but he does in the New. No, there's, there's plenty of examples and passages to go to and, and see a God who is very personal and is working in our lives and communicating with his children. And I think that the first verses in Hebrews actually help us a lot in sorting through this. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 says, and put that up on the screen, Long ago and many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. You see what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's prefacing what he's going to say to them as he helps them navigate through the old versus, the, or not versus, but in connection to the new and how the, two, how the old has built up to the new and, and that, they are the, that they are in a covenant with God that, has, that is somewhat unusual, is connected to the old. But he's saying long ago and many times, God has spoken to us in various ways. And, and if you were a Hebrew and you were thinking this, you were re, you're hearing this, you would start, start thinking about, oh yeah, Mount Sinai, God spoke, he thundered on the mountain. You'd think about the law of God. You'd think about the prophets of God, men like Isaiah, you think about men like Nehemiah who wasn't necessarily a prophet, but he was a servant and God moved him to go back and to rebuild Jerusalem. You think about all these ways that God had communicated to his people. And then, and then the writer of Hebrews says, but now, now he's speaking to us through Jesus. 
Now he is speaking to us through his son. And if you take any of the ways that God communicates, and if you separate it from the context of a relationship with Jesus Christ, you will end up in error. If it is not grounded and surrounded and completely immersed in the person of Jesus Christ, then it will take us to error. Because it becomes human-driven instead of God-driven. And if Jesus Christ is not central in the Word of God and in the voice of God, whether God is speaking to you through His Word as you read His Word, if you're not seeing Christ as central in this, you're going to mishandle it. If, if you are praying and asking for direction, and you feel the sense of direction, but it doesn't honor Jesus, you're sensing the wrong direction. You might be hearing from your flesh. Just recently, famous baseball player, you know, said, oh, I'm just a devout Christian, and I've been praying and laboring in prayer, and, and now my wife has brain cancer, and I decided to divorce her because God led me to. Horse feathers. It's wrong, right? What's the problem? Well, the problem is you're taking and saying that I heard from God in a way that dishonors the name of Jesus Christ. That's impossible. Can't happen. God will not speak to you in a way that dishonors Jesus. In fact, in John chapter 16, when he talks about the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit, one of the things he specifically says about the Holy Spirit is that he will not speak of himself. He'll speak of me. He'll speak of Jesus. And where the Spirit of God is at work, the eyes of the people are on Jesus. I remember a number of years ago sitting in a, in a uh, uh, forum where people were talking about revival. There's an older gentleman, his name is Richard Owen Roberts, who had spent his entire life studying revival. And, he, and they were talking about what do you, what's a counterfeit revival, what's a real one. And one of the things that Richard Owen Roberts says, he says, if the eyes of the people in a movement are on a manifestation or on a man, it's probably a counterfeit. But he says, where you find the eyes of the people on Jesus Christ, he said, you have an authentic revival. Because he's at the center of it. Where the Spirit of God is authentically moving in the people of God, people will be drawn to Jesus Christ because God is speaking through his Son, Jesus Christ. Is it okay to pray and say, Lord, direct me to a different job or direct me to stay at this job or direct me to, to know whether I should go to... Absolutely, we're told to pray for wisdom. But whatever you conclude that God is leading you to, it must honor the name of Jesus Christ. And if people looking into your life see you and I acting in a way that doesn't honor Christ's name, then we cannot with integrity claim to be led by the voice of God because it doesn't honor him. Samuel is open. He's listening. has an honest heart. And it transformed him. You know that you could take those three points that I said about the Word of God and you could replace the Word of God with just the name Jesus and they all apply. Jesus brings understanding. Jesus comes to open hearts and Jesus transforms the listener. That's the message of God's Word. 
That's what Samuel realized and understood that night. Samuel understood that when God calls, he also changes. He transforms us. He never leaves us like we were. When God calls you into a relationship with him, he also calls you to represent him. That's that priestly call. Last week we talked about how it talks about, it says in 1 Peter that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Someone pointed out that I, I also said that Jesus Christ is the last and final high priest. I said, how do you connect those two? So, well, they're connected, but I didn't do a very good job of explaining it. Here's how they're connected. Our priesthood as believers, the, the priesthood of believers that is described in 1 Peter as representatives of God is never outside the context of being in Christ as the great and final high priest. It is Christ at work in you and I that makes us priests to a culture around us, representatives for God to the culture around us, where we're talking to, to people about God and God about people and sharing who he is to the people around us. Christ Jesus brings the understanding. Doesn't it make sense then that in the Gospel of John that he would start out and he would say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and he begins to describe Jesus as the Word of God. That you could literally take that term, the Word of God, and you could replace it with Jesus Christ, and it fits. And that's why the writer of Hebrews would say, he is now speaking to us through Jesus Christ. It is absolutely incumbent upon you and I that what we do in our lives is done in the context of a relationship with Jesus Christ, to know him, to understand what he loves, to understand what he hates, to care about what he cares about, because that's where the safety is. Sermon in a sentence. Through Jesus, God continues to call us to know him and speak on his behalf to the people around us. Doesn't that bring up a question? Are you listening? Are you listening for the voice of God to speak to you? Are you in his word? Are you in a relationship with Jesus Christ? If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus. It's not a complex process to learn to know him simply bow your your head your heart and say jesus i acknowledge i need you I ask you to forgive me make me make yourself the lord of my life. i give you my life you can take my life and do whatever you want to do with it it's that posture of samuel isn't it speak lord your servant hears what god spoke to samuel in that moment was a difficult message like god didn't come with this message of hey samuel just want you to know that I see nothing but peace, safety, and prosperity for you coming in the future. I see people loving you. I see everything going well for you. If you notice that some of the stuff that gets passed off as a word from the Lord today, it just sounds kind of canned. Maybe that sounds critical. <laughs> some of it just does. Like, I heard from God, and man, he's got a lot of things. He loves you, and he's got a lot of good things in store for you. Okay. 
What about when God says, you know, you've got some difficult stuff ahead of you. Like, oh, I reject that in the name of Jesus. Can't be difficult. That was his word to Samuel. It's like, tough times coming. I remember a number of years ago, it was at a pastor's conference, and, um, and I, I, have, I have somewhat of a uh, um, tenuous relationship with prophetic words. <laughs> Can I say it that way? Um, I've seen it done so well, and I've seen it done so poorly, where somebody has just had a, a sense of, well, God, I, I want to share this with you because I think God wanted me to share it with you. I mean, Scripture talks about it. New Testament talks about a gift of prophecy, and, and it can look like that. And so, um, but man, Lord, give us wisdom with this because I've seen it done so poorly, too. But I remember a number of years ago being at a pastor's conference, and, and, um, and just to make a long story short, I was standing kind of in the aisle um, at the end of the service, and a lady just literally walked over to me, and she said, she said, I think I'm supposed to pray for you. And I was like, well, fantastic. Always good, always up for that. And, um, and she said, well, what do you want me to pray? And I said, well, if God told you to come pray for me, he can tell you what to pray, can't he? And um, she's like, yeah, you're right, he can. So she starts to pray. And, and she literally described what the next two years of my life would look like in very detail, in very detailed. And, and I never saw her again. I don't know her name. And I thought about that moment many times in the next two years. Um, and it with a sense of, of comfort in understanding that God had seen what was coming and that none of this had spun out of his control. And even in, and here's my point with that, it was, an, it was actually a negative thing. I mean, she was, she was like, Lord, he's, he's headed for some very painful experiences. He's headed for moments where people are going to really misunderstand him a lot, and you've got to give him the grace for it. And so even in the sense of, yes, there's some difficult times coming, there was a sense of deep peace and comfort in knowing that this is all in the care and the goodness of God. And I think it was that way for Samuel. Don't you think he had questions? Oh, man, what's this going to look like? God is rejecting Eli and his household. This is the only thing I've ever known. This is going to be unsettling for all of us. But to know that God is speaking and that God cares about you in a personal way and that whatever comes into your life, that you're held in the care in the hands of God because he is a relational God, that's enough, isn't it? Even if difficult times are ahead, to know that God is holding us and walking with us and caring and speaking to us is enough, and it brings a deep sense of peace. Amber, if you guys want to go ahead and come up, I want to bring this to a close. Put those questions up there for some deeper study. Um, you can snap a picture of that or whatever you want to. Um, I, I can't help but reflect a little bit. You know, I think about all those moments along the way where there were those memorable times when God was uniquely working and stirring in my life. I remember being a kid sitting in a little Sunday school class, and one of my best friend's moms was a teacher. I think I've shared this here before. And, um, and she, her husband, 
my friend's dad was, was one of the pastors in our church, and she invited him to come and talk to our Sunday school class about how God had called him. And, um, and he had had a sense of calling. Now, we were in a context where they had a little bit of an odd way of selecting their leaders, and I'm not going to get into that, but, um, but he had sensed a, a sense of calling. My grandfather was a pastor in that church. My grandfather, I found out years later, actually heard an audible voice calling his name. And, um, and he's like, I, I think God's calling me to, to pastor this church. Anyhow, but I remember as a boy sitting there in that, in that class, and, um, and I remember just very distinctly, um, for the first time in my life, you know, God sort of saying, you might, be, um, you might be assigned. You might be one of those guys that I want to preach my word. And, and, and that never really left uh, even though I had fought it for a while. And, um, and, and there have been moments along the way, different times. They range all the way from um, that sort of prompting, you should go have a conversation with that person, to you know, being in the Word and saying, man, I didn't understand it that way. I, I, suddenly I do. Um, but many, many times. And my point being, there are those memorable moments. But... This is also a lifestyle where we are in relationship with God, where God is communicating to us, where he is working in our lives as we are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, that he is speaking to us and that he is moving and he's making us his representatives along the way. Most of the times that God has spoken to me, I don't even remember. But he calls us to that lifestyle as his priests. Are you listening? Does he speak to you? Do you want him to speak to you? Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning for your grace and the fact that you are a communicating God, that you do call us. Lord, um, guard us from some kind of a fleshly response to that where we, where we could abuse it. And, um, and Lord, hold us in a place of safety in a relationship with you. More than anything, Lord, we want to know you more. We want to be drawn to a deeper walk with you. Lord, I pray for each person in this room um, that there would be a, a more of an openness to hear your voice, a sense of you leading us and speaking to us. Um, God, help us to represent you well to the world around us. Kids we're raising friends that we're enjoying time with, co-workers, classmates, whoever it is, Lord, that we're relating to. Help us to represent you well. Thank you for this story. Thank you for the, the example of Samuel and, um, and the lessons that we can learn from it. All for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen.